0: We're in a series. Um, we're at the midway point today. This is week four of eight. Um, and it's about Jennifer and I, our recent trip to Israel. And so we were blessed. We were fortunate to be able to go to, to Israel twice this year, actually. And, um, and so when we were there, uh, there's just so much you learn. There's so many little things that you see and experience that kind of change your perception about things in the Bible, And so, my goal for this series has been not just to show you the history and the sights and the the sounds, but to to encourage your faith, to really help you walk with Jesus. And so, each week of this series, we're trying to hit it from a different angle to let you see some about what we learned and experienced, but also to challenge some misconceptions that you may have about the Bible. And so, uh, today, we're going to be talking about the wilderness. Now, when you hear that word, I think we immediately think, like, when we think about the wilderness, we think about forests, trees, backwoods, ruggedness, right? Like, you know, wilderness survival. Uh, But when you hear the word wilderness or see that word in Scripture, it means something a little different than what we uh, come to know from the mountains here, right? A huge part of the Israelite history was the wandering in the wilderness for the 40 years, while they were searching for the promised land, waiting, uh, they were encountering God during that time. This was a time that really was foundational to, to their identity, to who they were. In fact, when you look in Scripture, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word that we translate as desert or, or wilderness is, uh, it's a word midbar. Uh, and, and I've learned, like, from being over there, I've learned when you say a Hebrew word, the guy, I was trying to say some of those Hebrew words, and the guy that was with us finally said, You can't say that. You, you just, you can't make those sounds that they make. I mean, you have to kind of clear your throat, and you know, it's kind of like, it, so when I say a Hebrew word, I sound nothing like they actually do, and I'm okay with that. This is the Appalachian accent. <laughs> um, but the Hebrew, it's mid bars, is, is the word. But it comes, the root word for that, if you kind of dig down, the root underneath that is the same word that was used to describe the holy of holies in the temple. And so really what it kind of comes down to is the wilderness is the place that God dwells. Now, that's going to be important as we go through the message today. The wilderness is the place where you experience God. It's the place where God speaks. It's the place where God is. And so when we think about that, man, that really helps you understand the times in the wilderness. Throughout Scripture, the desert is the place where God's people hear from God. It's the place where they receive their identity. It's where Jacob wrestled with God to receive the name of Israel. It's where the the slaves of Egypt became the chosen people of God. It's where David, uh, the outlaw, the one running from Saul, would become the next king. And so it's in that same wilderness that Jesus uh, really overcame the temptation of Satan. Uh, I read this, and it said, For us today, a wilderness is any place where our life unravels and pain and chaos take over. We feel isolated and alone, and anxiety and fear consume us. We wonder, will my marriage get back on track? Will I find another job? Will I survive this illness? Will I ever be happy again? And this article said, I've been there. Perhaps you too have as well. Maybe there's someone here this morning that is in the wilderness, and if you are, I want you to know that there's hope. Maybe you're in that place of wondering, does God really care? Is God really here? Does God even hear me? And so today, this message is for you. If you are new this morning, I want you to know that today, uh, I want you to experience really what it means to hear from God. Uh, Throughout this series, what we've been doing is um, I've been showing some videos we filmed in Israel, and this morning, I'll kind of set the stage by showing you some of the sites and places and explain a little bit about the wilderness so you can see. So as we jump into the scripture, you'll have a reference point for what we're talking about. So let's watch this first video together. Much of Israel is uninhabitable. It's barren. It's desolate. Much of the country is either desert or wilderness. In places like Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, some of the oldest manuscripts, there were caves and just desert everywhere you look. And you have places like Masada, which is a huge fortress that King Herod built on a thousand-foot cliff overlooking the Dead Sea. It's amazing to see the, the, just how desolate the land is and how barren and dry and hot. But in the midst of the desert, you will find places of nourishment, of water, like the oasis of En Gedi, which is just in the, a beautiful waterfall that you'll find in the middle of the desert. And then places like Jericho, which was a source of water in the ancient world and led it to be one of the oldest cities in existence. But from there, you will find the Judean wilderness. The Mount of Temptation, as it is called, is near the the ancient city of Jericho. This is the place where Jesus spent 40 days before he started his ministry. This is where Satan tempted Jesus. This place is harsh and barren and desolate for as far as the eye can see. But this is the wilderness that Jesus was driven into by the Holy Spirit after he was baptized near here at the Jordan River. I believe that the Spirit brought Jesus here because the wilderness and desert is where God lives. The desert is where manna came from heaven. It's where water came from a rock. It's where people throughout the scriptures went to find God. Because when we're in the middle of a harsh, uncomfortable place like this, that's when we learn that it's only God that can bring relief. It's when your life is hard and dry like a desert that you truly learn to rely on God. The wilderness represents even more. It represents the isolation, but it also represents experiencing God's presence. It represents deliverance. It represents renewal. It represents the in-between. And so have you ever found yourself in a season of life in the wilderness where you feel like you are just waiting and wondering, a time that you are unsure of what the future holds and unsure about where God is leading you. Today, we're going to explore the wilderness. So, kind of neat there to see what the wilderness actually looks like. When you're thinking about forest and trees, what do you notice there? There's no trees, right? It's kind of barren, it's... Did you notice those little animals at the end there? Those, it just in case for the hunters out there, they're ibex. They're kind of like antelope, uh, and that's kind of like the national animal of of Israel. And you see it, uh, you see them all throughout the the desert and the in the wilderness there. But uh, man, it's 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 pretty desolate, isn't it? Uh, it you look at that, and I don't know when I was talking about the place in the in the uh, the wilderness there. Uh, where Jesus was tempted, I don't know if you even noticed, but there was a monastery built into the side of the mountain. Uh, It was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of, it's really neat, and there's just so much there, uh, and we'll talk about that today. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' baptism near Jericho. And think about this, this glorious scene, Jesus comes up out of the water, the sky opens up, a voice booms out, this is my beloved son, right, in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. I mean, we're setting the stage, and now this this is like the the peak of the storyline here. Everybody's expecting Jesus now to kind of Right off and overthrow the government and set up his kingdom. And yet what happens? Jesus is driven into the wilderness alone. It's not how the story is supposed to go, right? And that's not what we're expecting. We're expecting Jesus to, to really to establish his kingdom, but instead he ends up all alone in the wilderness. And that leads me to my first point this morning. I'm just going to jump right in. Um, Our journey often leads us to the wilderness after the mountaintop. And what you'll notice as you go through life, you'll have some of those mountaintop experiences. But what comes after the mountaintop? The valley below. The wilderness. And so in Matthew chapter 4, right after Jesus was baptized in in the Jordan River near Jericho, this is the next verse. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So why, why, would, why does this happen, right? Why does the Holy Spirit do this? Why would Jesus go from one of the most glorious scenes, that, that baptismal uh, you know, uh, time when the, everything just looks like it's perfect, and then into the one of the most terrible things you can imagine. Um, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, outside of Jericho is the Mount of Temptation. And uh, it's a place you can take a cable car up to it and go on top. And we were supposed to do that, take the cable car. But when we started talking to our guide, he's like, well, if y'all do that, I'm not going on it. I'm staying here and letting y'all go by yourself. And I'm like, why? And he's like, that cable car, he said, have you seen it? And that kind of changed our mind. So we didn't take the cable car. There are places in Israel, I'll just tell you, that are very touristy. And um, from our first trip there, we knew there was a the backside of the mountain. You could drive through these back roads and get to. And so we said, let's not take the cable car up to the touristy part. Let's take the back roads and go Uh, on the other side of the Mount of Temptation. And so that's what we did. And that's where you saw the camels. That's where you saw uh, the the panoramic mountains just as far as you could see there. And so on the other side, there's a place. It's called the Wadi Kelt, W-A-D-I. And a a wadi in Israel is what we would call like a dry riverbed. It's It's usually dry. It's a valley. But what happens in the desert when it rains, you have flash floods. And so these are the rivers, they fill up during uh, the rains, and then they will kind of flood and flow over to the Jordan River and and eventually into the Dead Sea. And so much of what you saw in that video was in the Wadi Kelt. Um, And so it's here where we really learn about the valley, about the wilderness, Now, I would say that most of you have had a point in your life that you would say this has been a mountaintop experience. When everything has kind of fallen into place where uh, the sun's shining down, you're hearing from heaven, it's like everything, it's like the glorious scenes in our life, right? When you think about if a movie was made of your life, there are certain mountaintop experiences that you just go back to and are kind of cemented in your brain that you remember, those good times, those good moments, Now, not to be cynical, but we all know we don't stay there. There, It seems like so many times in life, right after the mountaintop experience, you hit the valley. In the Old Testament, we have Elijah on the mountaintop defeating the prophets of Baal. But then what happens? Jezebel comes after him and says she's going to kill him. He takes off running and uh, is depressed and suicidal and, and hiding. It's that valley experience after the mountaintop. Now, I was thinking about this, and, and, you know, you run into this in life. You have that mountaintop experience, and then you have the valley. For many people, it's that newlywed period, okay? (laughs) You get married, you're on the mountaintop, and then a few weeks, months later, what happens? You realize, what have I done? (laughs) No, you realize how blessed you are. But for some people, you struggle, right, because you're like, Man, um, the reality of everything sets in, and, and you realize that, man, love is hard work. It's going to take some hard work to, to kind of work through conflict and get to know each other and to learn how to communicate, and, and, and so, it's so many times you see that, right? You go from the mountaintop to the valley, and if you aren't prepared for the valley, it's when you really struggle in life. The same thing happens with your job. You start off and you think, man, this job is going to be so great. And then you get to meet your coworkers, and you quickly realize that everyone you work with is annoying, right? I mean, the same thing. And so that that's life is you go from the mountaintop to the valley because we live in this broken world that's full of messed up people. And so Jesus had this similar experience. His baptism was this mountaintop experience and The Father, the Holy Spirit, have publicly expressed their approval of him, but then he goes into the wilderness. He begins to descend into the valley, and we all want mountaintop experiences. But it's when we're in the valley that God really forms us into the people He wants us to be. It's when we're in the valley. It's when we're in the wilderness that God shapes our character. He it's when He prepares us to do ministry. And so you think about that. What the, the wilderness does, it shows us that our life, that we have a purpose that is much greater than ourselves. When Moses was on the mountaintop, he was getting the law for the people, right? And when Peter, James, and John were on the mountaintop well, they, at the transfiguration, they didn't stay there. They wanted to stay there. But Jesus is like, no, we have to come down off the mountain. We have to take the message to the people. And so we're going to have times when we're in the wilderness. We're going to have times when we're struggling to pay our bills. We're going to have times where we're unsure about our jobs. We're going to have times when someone walks out of our life. We're going to have times when we struggle with our health. And so we have a choice to to make when we're in that valley, when we're in the wilderness. Do we kind of give up on God and say, God, where are you? Why is this happening? Or do we get to know him better? Do we draw close to him? Do we spend time with him? Do we allow him to lead us through the wilderness and out the other side? And so this in-between, this season of life we find, us. I think they're some of the hardest seasons of life we go through. Because we're on our way somewhere and we find ourselves in a place that we never expected, we never anticipated, a place we don't really want to be. And that's when we're waiting on God to open a a door or answer a prayer. And it can become discouraging. But instead of saying, God, have you given up on me? Am I doing something wrong? Or why why is this happening? We've got to learn to draw near to him. And that brings me to my next point. The devil, right? The devil, he's always going to show up at our weakest moments. He's going to show up right when you are at your weakest because the devil is pretty crafty. If you keep going to Matthew 4, 2, it says, For 40 days and for 40 nights, Jesus fasted, and he became very hungry. I love these just like matter-of-fact statements in Scriptures. Like, he didn't eat for 40 days. Do you think he was hungry? Of course. I mean, this is, this is like one of those no-brainer statements here. And it's important to note that, that it's right at this moment when Jesus was attacked after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm hungry, I'm not very pleasant to be around. Can y'all relate? That hangry feeling that you get. Um, I think that's why fasting is such a important spiritual discipline that we don't talk about and do enough now because... You really, it it takes some work to learn how to to not be miserable when you're hungry, right? And so that's at the point here, right, that that Jesus is attacked. And Scripture clearly warns us that uh, there's going to be temptation. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be these hard times in life, and we're not going to avoid it. And I'm telling you, the devil knows when to show up. He knows when to throw that temptation in your life at your lowest point. So it's important that we understand how he works. It's important that we know to be prepared. It's important to know that the devil is always going to try to jump in and attack us at the moment of our greatest weakness. See, the devil is great at at strategy. He's great at taking whatever it is that you struggle with and using it against you. Maybe some old sins and scars from your past. Uh, it may be things you desire but you can't have. It may be that secret sin that you are hiding. Whatever it is, the devil's going to find a way to use it against you. And, and, and he knows if he can get you tempted with it, he can cause you to sin against God. And and so that's exactly what Satan did when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And and I read this this week. It said, Satan will often do the same to you. He will take advantage of your weaknesses. He will tease his lies into the crevices of your heart where fears and doubts exist and tempt you to live out your natural tendency toward yourself, your self-will, your self-government, living for yourself instead of living for the Lord. That's what Satan does. He makes you think it's all about you. He takes your eyes off of God. He takes your eyes off of living for others. And he makes you think it's all about you. And it's interesting to see that's how he tempted Jesus. We actually have a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that's, I think, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. But it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Does this say, okay, listen with me here. Does this say God will never give you more than you can bear? It says God will never tempt you beyond what you can handle. Right? The God, he's not going to allow temptations in your life that you can't handle. It, there are going to be times in your life where you feel like you have more on you than you can physically bear. And it's in those times that force us to look up to God. It's in those times that drive us to our knees and reach out to God because we need Him, and He's the one that's going to carry it through it, carry us through it. And when we are tempted, God says, there's always going to be a way out. I'm always going to give you the, the, the exit strategy out of that temptation. So you can't can't use the excuse, the devil made me do it. You can't say, I didn't have a choice. You always have a choice not to sin. And so in the wilderness, we need to remember that the devil's going to hit you at your moment of weakness. And that's when you've got to say, okay, God, where's the way out? Where's the way I can stand firm? How can I honor you even through this temptation? And so... This is important that we see the devil's going to, he's going to try, he's going to try to get us to sin, but we've got to take the time to figure out what our weakness is and what the way out of that situation is. And that kind of leads me to my next point, the wilderness. It shows us what we really depend on, shows us what's important. It shows us what our priorities are. It shows us where our focus is. And as the devil shows up here in the wilderness, This is what happens in verse 3 of Matthew 4. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with his hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said, I will give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now I want you to to notice, let's kind of dig in just a little bit here and talk about these temptations. The first thing, Jesus is hungry. We've already established that. And the devil says, turn these stones into bread. This is the temptation, right, to satisfy our immediate de- needs, our immediate desires, our wants at the cost of betraying God. It's saying, I see it, I want it, I need it now, I want to have it, and so I'm going to do it. That, don't we face that same temptation now from Satan? I see something, I want it, and I'm going to have it no matter what it does with my relationship to God. And, and Jesus responds with Moses' word a person does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he responds with scripture. That's how he battles this temptation. The next one, that he puts him on this high tower, or this high place of the temple, and, and tempts him to use his power to rely on his own strength to deliver himself. Again, doesn't it happen today? The devil tempts us to use our own strength, our own skills, our own talents to get us out of situations we find ourselves in. And so uh, we find out that we see this and and Jesus again responded, right, don't put the Lord your God to the test. We've got to learn to trust God. We've got to learn to let him deliver us. And finally the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and you know, worship means you can have all this. And what is he doing here? He, he, he's tempting him with power and prestige. And it's all about you. And as long as you can make yourself important, if you can lift yourself up, right, then, then that's really what you need in life. And, and J- Jesus responded with Moses' words again, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now, I've got to think that this happened right after the baptism, right after Jesus heard that you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his identity. We talked about that just two weeks ago. Knowing who we are, knowing our identity really helps us stand up when the devil comes on the attack. Knowing we are a child of God. Knowing who God is and knowing who we are, that's what helps us. And so we can go back when the devil tempts us. And I love that Jesus gives us the example of how to, how to stand up to the devil's attacks. It's to know his word. Every, every time that Satan attacked, Jesus would say, But this is what God says. And here's what Satan does. He does it today. He's done it since Genesis 3. He keeps doing it today. Did God really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? Can you really trust your Bible? Does that really, that's not what they meant. This is what they meant. And and so in our minds, we have all these voices in the world around us today trying to get us to doubt the Bible, trying to undermine our belief in the Bible. And instead, we need to say, but this is what the Bible says. So much, and I've gone back to this, so much of living for God comes back to the fact this is God's word that we have in his in the Bible today, can we trust it? Do we, do we go by what his word says or do we twist it to make to, to an image that we've created and in essence worship ourselves? It's what the world's doing today. And that's, that's the temptation that we see. Now, I, you, you see all this happening in the wilderness. And, and I would say this, and you may argue with me, but I, I think the wilderness is essential in our life think those times in the wilderness, it, 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 I don't like it, but it's true. If you want to follow Jesus, if, if you want to learn what it means to live in the kingdom of God, then you've got to learn to how to experience and live in the wilderness. the wilderness. The wilderness, it's the place in life where everything else is stripped away that distracts you in life. And you find out who you really are and you find out who God really is. That's, we don't like that. We don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like suffering. We don't like the uncertainty, the unknown, but it's where we learn who God really is. Again, going back to what I started with, I told you the the word for the wilderness in, in Hebrew, the root word of that is the same word for the holy of holies. It's where God dwells. And so we have this image throughout the Old Testament that the wilderness is the place where God dwells. And I don't know about you, but I want to be where God dwells. I want to hear from God. I want to. I want him to speak into my life. I want him to, to shape me and to mold me, to conform me into the likeness of his son. And that happens in the times when we're suffering. Now, it's interesting for the Israelites. They're going back to their time in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8... Um, They've got this in the back of their mind. It says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna of food that was previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that the people do not live by bread alone, Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For these, all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. The wilderness is a test. The wilderness is this test. It's like, are we going to trust God? Or are we going to trust ourselves? And for Jesus, it was that test. It's like, are you going to trust who you are and your own power? Or are you going to lean on who God is? Are you going to trust? It's that conflict we see. The people of Israel, they didn't pass the, the test in the wilderness. They complained against God. They forgot how God provided for them. And they chased after the gods of the kingdoms of, of the Canaanites around them. And, and it nearly destroyed them. And so the, the same thing is true for us. Are we going to trust the world around us or are we going to trust in God? And that leads me to my, my next point. We can, we can learn to fully trust God when we're in the wilderness. We can learn to fully trust God in the wilderness. Our prayer, I think, is so often, see if you can relate to this, God, get me out of this. Have you all ever prayed that prayer? God, I don't like this situation. I mean, God, get me out of this. How often do we pray, God, get me through this? It's a big difference. Now, if you're in a wilderness now, not literally, but metaphorically, if that's you, I want to remind you that what you're going through, that harsh, that painful time, you're in the place where God is, where you can learn to depend on him. And, and instead of, you may want to start asking God, what can I get out of the wilderness instead of when can you get me out of the wilderness? Again, that's that, that makes us uncomfortable a little bit. Now, at the video at the beginning, I showed you where I was standing there uh, in the, you know, on top of that That mountaintop in the Judean wilderness, it's at the Wadi um, Celt there in in the Judean wilderness. Now, there's also something else at that place, that specific place I was at that was known for. It overlooks a valley that that St. George Monastery is built into the side of the rock. And at the bottom of the valley is the place that was known in ancient times as the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So when David was talking about Psalm 23, when he wrote Psalm 23, uh, and let me just read uh, that to you. In Psalm 23, it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake." Verse four: Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's interesting to me about this is when we're in the wilderness, this is the promise that God gives us, right? That he makes us content right? We understand that I shall not want. I don't need anything else. All I need is God. He gives us everything we need. He leads us. He restores us. He gives us a peace that can conquer our fears. Even in the middle of the wilderness, he comforts us. He gives us a future. This, this, is, this Psalm 23 is a psalm about the wilderness, It's a psalm about how God is with us, even in those times when we're suffering and we feel all alone. Isaiah 43, 19 says, For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God's doing something He's going to lead us through the wilderness. He's not going to take us out of the wilderness. He's going to lead us through it. Now, this helps us, right? It helps us gain perspective when we're in the middle of all that suffering, of all that time, right? It helps us understand God is there. God is there and that God really does care. Now, one of the awesome things about being in the Holy Land that um, just amazes me is to see how things intersect, to see where things happened, um, in Old Testament, New Testament, to see this is the same place. And so that, that wilderness that I showed you at the beginning, and I'll show you again here in a minute, it's where David and Absalom had, had their conflict. It's the valley, as I mentioned, of the shadow of death that David wrote about. It's the place of temptation for Jesus. But it's also the setting for one other very well-known parable in the New Testament. You see that Wadi Kelt is on the road between Jerusalem to Jericho. And you can actually see Jerusalem on the mountaintop in one direction and the other direction. You can see the ancient city of Jericho. And so this is in the middle between those two things. And there was a parable that Jesus told about a man who was traveling on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Do you remember the story? Story of the good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, it says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. And so that's where this happened. And so while we were there, um, I filmed another video that I want to show you, and it was a little windy that day, and um, we were kind of short on time, so I had to film myself, so don't make fun of the the video editing here. Um, But I think it's still really cool to see a little more of the wilderness. Let's see this. In the wilderness, (laughs) not really kind of what you expect when you're used to seeing the mountains at home. But here in the Judean wilderness— Uh, This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and in Luke chapter 10 we read the story uh, that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, the story of really that makes us think who is our neighbor, a story about what we do when we're in the wilderness, the in-between, the the time when we uh, are on our way somewhere else but we find ourselves stuck in the middle of a journey. For the man in the story of the Good Samaritan, he was beaten, he was robbed. You can see we're in a pretty remote area right now. You can see how this would be a problem. But for us, how do we respond? Often when we find ourselves in the wilderness, what do we do? We start blaming others. We start blaming God. We start wallowing in our sorrows. We start getting to the... uh, We just look for an excuse for what's happened, and we get stuck. We get stuck right in the wilderness. But let me ask you, when you're in the wilderness, do you look up? Do you find God? Do you look for the way out of the the situation you find yourself in? You see, in the story of the Good Samaritan, he really got to the point where he needed someone else to come and help and bandage his wounds. And I think often we miss that in the story. We forget that that we need others to, to do what we cannot do. We need others to come and be come along beside us and help us. And so this just reminds me as we look around this barren landscape that even in the midst of life when everything seems hopeless, everything seems lost, where we don't know what to do, we can trust God, that He is there, that He cares, and He will do whatever, whatever it takes, really, to, to show us that He loves us. And so, let's not forget that. Let's not forget that there's always hope, that God always cares, and that and even in the midst of our worst times, God is there. So there's always hope. God always cares. And in the midst of our worst times, God is is there. Do you believe that this morning, church? That God is there. In in your worst times, in the middle of the wilderness, that's where God dwells. It's where God can speak to you. It's where God can demonstrate how much he loves you. He sent Jesus to become one of us, and through his suffering, Jesus became the Redeemer who entered our humanity, experienced everything we did, who empathizes with our pain, and yet still went to the cross on our behalf. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's who Jesus is. He went through everything, all the temptation, all the, 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 everything that we go through, but yet the, the difference between us and Jesus, he didn't sin. And because of that, he is who John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became the perfect sacrifice that went to the cross on our behalf to take every punishment that we deserve and to in, in exchange we receive his righteousness. And so I want to just challenge you today. Will you look to Jesus? That's where you're going to find the strength to get through the wilderness. Will you be faithful? Will you keep trusting the God of the wilderness is the God who always comes through? That's what we've got to remember. And I want you to to remember this as we leave this morning. The wilderness is where God makes us stronger and where he teaches us how to persevere. It's the place where our wounds are transformed so that we can become healers who help share the hope that we have with others. It's the place where God tends to us so that we can be strengthened to go out. And so with that, I'm going to ask you to pray this morning with me as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to know that whatever we go through in life, it's going to be okay. That no matter what happens, it is well, Lord. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right because you are there. The wilderness is where you dwell and where you want to uh, to speak into our life. It's where we can experience your presence. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for people in this room today who are going through trials and suffering and who are in the middle of the wilderness. Would you help them see that you are there and that you still care? Lord, I thank you most of all for Jesus, for how he went to the cross on our behalf, and for everyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus. Your promise is that, you will forgive us of our sin that you will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness that you will give us a home in heaven for all of eternity that we can experience the kingdom of god with you forever and ever so heavenly father i thank you for that that you love us so much that you give us that hope that we have that hope that we share with others lord we thank you for the wilderness Sounds funny to say that, but we thank you for those times where you shape and you mold us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.